This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Dana Perino. I'm Brian Kilmeade. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, April 28th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. All this inflation and skyrocketing prices are adding to economic uncertainty. It's impacting the stock market, U.S. businesses, and American families. And it's a weight around the necks of the party in power as midterms approach. Though some Democratic candidates think they have some answers and some hope. The working class has been getting hammered for 40 years. CEO pay is up 1,300% since the 1970s. The average worker has been flatlined and just need some breathing room. I'm Dave Anthony. He's the first senator to go to Ukraine since Russia invaded, and he can't unsee the death and destruction he witnessed. Bodies of uh, innocents, and you can see the wounds, you know, bullet wounds in the back of the head, in the back. And these people were brutally executed. They were murdered by uh, these Russian soldiers. We talk with Republican Senator Steve Daines. And I'm Jimmy Fallon. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Between whatever stage of the pandemic we're in now, Russia's war in Ukraine, China's zero COVID strategy resulting in shutdown factories, high inflation, rising interest rates, there's a lot of economic uncertainty right now. Company CEOs are expressing more caution, even tamping down expectations on future growth. Deke News Chairman Dave Maney talked to Fox Business anchor Neil Cavuto about that this week. But it seems that no matter how well these guys do in their quarterly reports, and and many have done quite well, thank you. Uh, It's not enough to save the day for them. So what's going on? A large, large injection of uncertainty, which markets hate. We've gone from a a world that felt like a stable economic basis, relatively stable political order, to one in which um, uh, it's very hard to understand what's coming next. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon cited Russia's war, high inflation, and a hawkish Fed in his annual shareholder letter, saying they present completely different circumstances than what we've experienced before, and the combination made dramatic increase the risks ahead. Mark Avalone, the head of Potomac Wealth Advisors, told Fox Business. The challenge for the Fed is even if they go 50 or 75 or multiple hikes, they don't control supply chain disruptions. They can't make the Biden administration drill for more oil, allow more oil production in the country, and they can't end the war in Ukraine. And those are the three drivers for inflation. So we're fighting inflation with tools that aren't designed to fight this round of inflation. And this round is a heavy round as China continues to restrict factory production in an effort to reach zero COVID. We're again left with a conversation about our own supply chains. It is, of course, a weight around the necks of Democrats as the party in power downplays their expectations for midterms. Massachusetts Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren said these economic woes spell big losses for her party unless they do something, pass something significant. One congressman who wants to be senator in a state trending red is betting that focusing on China and reminding voters of his efforts to make technology in America are the answers. Getting tariffs on Chinese steel that was getting dumped into the country, 
uh, led to a billion dollar investment in a steel mill in Youngstown, Ohio. Tim Ryan is a Democratic congressman in Ohio and the likely Senate nominee from his party ahead of midterms. More recently, the bipartisan infrastructure bill that's going to create about 600,000 jobs uh, in Ohio have been a, a real advocate for a reshoring high-end manufacturing jobs. And we were just announced the Intel project, which is going to be, you know, a $20 billion project, 3,000 jobs making computer chips. Foxconn is coming in, um, spending a billion dollars to build out an old General Motors factory. They're going to make an electric truck in one side. They're going to make an electric car in the other side. There's a battery plant across the street, 1,100 full-time union jobs there. So we've been slogging away, you know, in the middle of a very bad economy in our area and getting, you know, to the Senate would be an opportunity, I think, really to move the needle. But we've got to move in this direction. And if the Youngstown Ohio's of the world aren't participating, then we're not going to win this ultimate competition against China. U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai recently told a congressional committee, we can't just wait for China to change. We need to start doing things on our side, like reshoring and rebuilding our manufacturing base at home. We keep hearing that, that we need to make things at home. But how hard is it to move out of China and back to the U.S.? Well, it's a stiff global competition. There's no question. And it takes a whole of government approach. I think, you know, the easy part is kind of buy American stuff, like with the infrastructure bill, Sherrod Brown and I were able to put in strong buy American language, which means the steel and the concrete used while we're building our infrastructure here is going to be American made steel. So some of that is simple like that, but we've got to get away from this idea. Everybody's got to go to college because, you know, like the Intel project in Ohio, 60% of the people there aren't going to need a college degree. So that was one of the dumbest things we've ever done. So part of the whole of government approach is bring shop class back, robust investments into our joint vocational schools and technical schools, uh, promote unions so that we can get people into these apprenticeship programs. And I just think like it's got we've got to be so focused on building a new version of America. And it's going to be public-private partnerships, protecting American companies against how China cheats. But you also got to make the investments because we only have 330 million people. They have 1.4 billion. So we've got to have everybody on the field with the Team USA jersey on playing for us. And that means we've got to be healthy, skilled, educated, good infrastructure, and ready to kick some rear end. China does seem to be if not a big focus of your campaign, the focus, what would you do with regards to China in terms of either competition or even national security as a senator that is different from what you've been doing as a congressman? This is the defining relationship for the United States for the foreseeable future. And they've been at economic war with us for 30 or 40 years. And we've been asleep at the switch, Democrats and Republicans. And I give Trump credit. I mean, Trump wasn't wrong on everything. Uh, He was right about China. And so we have to have a comprehensive plan, but it's going to take that whole of government approach. It's got to be infrastructure, skills, job training, shop class, joint vocational, in research and development. How do we dominate these industries of the future, including energy and not just renewable, but also natural gas? So, you know, in eastern Ohio, we've got a huge supply of natural gas that we've got to figure out how to build the infrastructure from eastern Ohio and sell it to eastern Europe. You want to screw Vladimir Putin? Let's get all our neighbors and friends and allies for the last hundred years in Europe access to 
natural gas that comes from Eastern Ohio and goes to Eastern Europe. So we've got to have this. And that means good paying union jobs in Eastern Ohio. Like this could be a win across the board, but we've got to have a big national purpose, a big vision for the country. And if we do that, we can win this competition and leapfrog China. You know, between what you're talking about with China and natural gas, you you sort of sound like a Republican a little bit, minus the culture war issues. As senator, are you are you a Senator Manchin? What what do you envision for yourself if you're representing Ohio, which we know has been trending red? You know, I'm, I'm an American. You know, I mean, I just like we've got to get away from this Democrat Republican stuff. It's not working for us. I'm an American who has common sense, who's pragmatic who comes from a, you know, young outside of Youngstown, Ohio. I mean, I know what working class people have been through. I've seen what China does. And so I'm, how do we build this country up? American jobs, American workers, American companies. And to me, that's that comes before you're a Democrat or Republican. That's how I see things. I'm from Ohio. I grew up there. I want what's best for my folks. And I'm going to fight like hell. And if I got to get in a fight with Democrats, I get in fight with Democrats. If I want to get in fight with Republicans to get that to happen. I get in fight with Republicans. That's just who, who I've been my whole career. And so I don't I don't get into the whole labeling thing because I, I think that's part of the problem is people get into their corners of who's got the red shirt on, who's got the blue shirt on. And everyone says, well, Ohio's a red state. Ohio's a red, white and blue state. Ohio's an American state. It cares about what's good for the country. And, you know, if you're doing that, you're going to get elected there. And that's why I think I'm going to get elected. You have been supportive as a congressman of President Biden's infrastructure bill. You referenced it to me. He's now going around the country, though. He's not saying the words build back better by name, but he is talking about elements of it. Would you be on board for more spending for some elements of build back better, even as we deal with, I guess, record inflation? If we're helping people, you know, I'm going to be for it. We've got to rebuild the middle class. And that's going to look a little bit different than it did 50 or 60 or 70 years ago. But I think this stuff needs to be paid for. I just don't think we can pass on the debt to our kids. And so if we're making investments, which we absolutely need to, to reduce a lot of pain and suffering, I mean, the working class has been getting hammered for 40 years. CEO pay is up 1,300% since the 1970s. The average worker has been flatlined and just needs some breathing room. So if we can help them for sure, we should. But maybe some of the people that are taking space flights because they've made so much money, we need to ask them to help them. And look, I'm not mad at them. Like, this is America. You have a great idea. You can become a billionaire. God bless you. But we've got this competition. We've got the middle class getting squeezed. And it would be nice if seniors didn't have to come out of pocket for glasses or hearing aids and middle class people could get a tax cut. And we had universal preschool so that our kids can get a, you know, get a head start on out competing China and ask those folks to pay for it. Maybe start reducing the deficit. That's common sense to me. Like, I don't think any of that is like a radical position. I think it's common sense. And if we want to move forward, we've got to invest into our families and to our communities. And that's going to take us asking folks who have made billions of dollars to help pay for it. I keep hearing about economic uncertainty. Some of the stuff you talk about when you talk about China and you talk about competition, which I've heard from others, it feels more medium to long term solutions. What's the short term solution to the economic uncertainty we're, we're feeling or is there not one? 
Well, you know, we're coming out of a pandemic and we have a war that's affecting a huge agriculture producing state and a huge oil and gas producing country. Um, so that's going to roil the markets and make things very, very insecure for the global economy. Um, I think, and you're right, the plans we've talked about up to this point are, you know, their jobs in the short term with infrastructure, but mid to long term out competing China. I think immediately because the inflation issue is around supply chains and those kind of things. I think we need a big tax cut for working people. I just think that working people have been through enough and they've suffered enough and they need some money in their pockets. I think advancing the child tax credit like we did last year, continuing that, advancing the earned income tax credit, and then a general tax cut for working families. And we can talk about you know what that looks like as far as wage earners, but we got to put money in people's pockets and they're working longer and harder than ever before. And we need to provide some relief. Finally, Congressman, um, you wrote on Twitter that there is some polling that indicates a one point margin between you and J.D. Vance. Vance has been <clears throat> endorsed by President Trump, former President Trump, and you are considered the very likely Democratic nominee. I don't know what that poll is. I'm sure after May 3rd, we're going to see some more polling. But it does seem like you're you're sort of forecasting and, and saying, look, this is going to be a, a really tight race. I think even the former president himself agrees with you on that, that it will be a really tight race, that you're, you're putting up a heck of a fight. Um, what do you anticipate this to be about if you're facing J.D. Vance? This race is going to be a clear contrast, I think, between somebody from Ohio who's spent the last 20 years fighting like hell for working people in Ohio has a big vision for Ohio and America and somebody that wants to have culture wars and figure out ways to divide us and not as concerned with the people of Ohio. And I just think that's going to be it. Who has the vision for America that resonates most uh, with the American people? And I think, you know, rebuilding the middle class, beating China, bringing back manufacturing jobs. That's been, you know, I've been fighting for that my whole career and we're going to win this race. You know, we're going to win this race. Ohio has always led the national economy in the national political scene. And so now I want Ohio to be the arsenal of energy for the world. I want us to be the manufacturing powerhouse of the world. I want us to lead innovations to deal with all of the issues that we've gotten and rebuild the great middle class. I think that's going to be a very big contrast to whoever comes out of the Republican primary, because I think it's it's a very small, narrow, spiteful, darker vision of Ohio and America. Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Jimmy Fallon with your Fox News commentary coming up. Russia just won't stop attacking Ukraine. We face a crisis within a crisis in Mariupol. 
thousands of civilians are in dire need of life-saving humanitarian assistance and many of evacuation. But UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres was unable to convince Russia's leader in talks in Moscow earlier this week to allow a humanitarian corridor to let them out of that nearly destroyed city. Instead, Vladimir Putin, who claims Russia's economy has withstood all the sanctions imposed on it, is now pulling the energy plug on two countries in the region for not paying in Russian rubles. European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen calls it blackmail. Both Poland and Bulgaria are now receiving gas from their EU neighbors. This is European investigators keep documenting atrocities in Ukraine that many, including President Biden, call war crimes. Senator Steve Daines saw the destruction and death with his own eyes. What I saw there in Ukraine firsthand is something I would wish on on nobody. The Republican from Montana was the first senator to go to Ukraine since Russia invaded. We we got into Ukraine because of uh, a leader in Ukraine who was a former member of the parliament, a friend of mine, reached out to me. I, I was in Slovakia having meetings with the leadership, the prime minister and so forth, talking about dependencies on Russian energy and the need to get lethal aid into Ukraine. Right. And then this invite came when I was in Slovakia. So I flew to Krakow, Poland. I met this Ukrainian friend. He took us to the border in a car. We walked across the border at night and then took a car to Lviv, got on a train. The train trip to Kiev varied depending on missile activity. We got to Kiev nine hours later and then were taken to Bucha, which is where these atrocities were committed. Dave, it's a very you know fresh war zone. There's still Russian tanks strewn, destroyed tanks strewn everywhere. Russian armored vehicles. I, I saw a Russian armored vehicle that had still had a, a Russian soldier. The charred remains of a Russian soldier still in it. Wow. Uh, you saw uh, civilians um, in these you know villages. Their vehicles have been shot up and then burned, destroyed by the Russians. You just can't imagine a Ukrainian family, perhaps a mother and a father with their children and, and brutally murdered by the Russians. Did you even expect to see what you saw? Were you surprised at it all? I didn't. I don't think you can prepare for what I saw. Uh, walking right up to these shallow graves where literally hundreds hundreds of members of this innocent community were buried uh, in these black bags. Uh, These are not soldiers. These are civilians. And in fact, there were predominantly women and there were even children there. We saw the smaller bags being pulled out of children. And you saw not just body bags. I mean, you, you, you saw actual bodies, didn't you? We did. Um, The stench of death was something that, um, you know, it's just uh, repulsive. It's uh, I had to put my hand over my nose, lift my jacket up over my nose. Uh, they actually unzipped some of the bags there as they were doing forensic investigations. They had tents set up right next to the, the trenches where they had war crimes investigators from around the world. I know the French were there. They're, they have certain expertise in these kind of investigations. And they opened up some of the bags, Dave, so they could see, you know, bodies of, uh, of, uh, of innocence. And you could see the wounds, you know, bullet wounds in the back of the head, in the back. And these people were brutally executed. They were murdered by uh, these Russian soldiers. Yeah, and, and you talk about investigations. I mean, you, you saw these. So I, I assume you no doubt believe that war crimes were committed. How, how I know that people investigate all this. How, how does that go? How, how do you get to the point where you can actually 
try to deal with that in court? Well, there there's two courts, Dave, that we wanted to be helpful to. One's the court of public and world opinion. The other would be certainly a process of, of war crimes at The Hague. Um, I took uh, lots of photographs on my, my smartphone, and we got those out to media. They were uh, broadcast around the world on CNN, on Fox, oh, yeah. uh, on on multiple networks. I see the, the body bags, a shoe. You were holding a, a, a wooden toy, right, that you found in all this rubble? Yeah, I found a, found a child's toy on a pile of rubble. Uh, that you know, One moment that child was playing with, perhaps with a mother or grandmother, the next moment uh, killed, and the toy was on top of the rubble. So the evidence is irrefutable. It's indisputable. And, and I would also, we picked up their in Bucha. And one of the police officers of the Bucha community came to me and he had this little red book. Just It, it was about maybe two inches by three inches, maybe about a half inch in thickness. And they found this in one of the homes that the Russian soldiers had occupied because what the soldiers did is they would take the the, um, the, mem- the members of the community and they'd either kill them or throw them outside and they would occupy their homes. So they had a place to stay while they were involved in this in this war. And they mistakenly left behind these little red books that had the names in detail of the soldiers that participated in this, their dates of birth. And then it had the names of their parents and their dates of birth. It was a very meticulous documented record of who was actually there. So the Ukrainians have that for part of their prosecution for war crimes. But here's a sad, sad and terrible fact. Vladimir Putin actually gave commendation to this particular unit that brutally murdered these innocent civilians in Ukraine. He was commending what they did. Well, I was seeing the atrocities that were actually committed. You think someday Putin will go on war crimes trial? I hope so. Um, I uh, He needs to be held accountable for this. But there's no, no let up to it, obviously. Uh, the other day, Russia's foreign minister, Senator, you probably heard this. He warned that this conflict could go nuclear, claiming it's Ukraine somehow provoking World War Three. But but the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, says now it's Russia that's posing the nuclear threat. And I want you to hear what he said. And it's not just the threat of of nuclear weapons here. Today, they have launched three missiles against Ukraine in a way that it flew directly over our three nuclear plants. So. How worried are you that something could go horribly wrong that takes this war to an even far worse place? Well, it's something to be worried about and to uh, be prudent as we think about our strategies and tactics um, in, in with regards to the Ukrainians. Uh, I don't think we should put U.S. troops in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we should enforce a no-fly zone because Either of those options will put U.S. forces potentially in direct conflict with Russian forces, and that is escalatory. Okay. But Putin is very reckless. As you just mentioned in that clip, he's, he's got missiles flying right over the tops of nuclear reactors, which would create That's frightening. a disaster hit. It is frightening. And, of course, we can't back down in our support for Ukraine and speeding up the lethal aid because at the end of the day, Dave, this humanitarian crisis, these war crimes that are going on as we speak, you know, what I saw in Bucha is happening as we speak in Mariupol and other parts of eastern and southern Ukraine. These crimes won't stop. The humanitarian crisis won't end until the war ends. You went there 
with Congresswoman Victoria Sparks. Now, we've had her on the podcast a couple of times. She's an Indiana Republican, but she was born in Ukraine when it was part of the Soviet Union. What was it like being there with her? I mean, it's all her own grandmother has been trapped in one of these cities. She's 95 years old and has been trapped and living in a basement of a burnt, you know, blown out area. I mean, that had to be really something. This is this is the area where she grew up. Her family is from that general area of Ukraine. So it's very close to home for her, literally, as we were seeing the rubble, the destruction of innocent Romanians. When we were in Bucha, the mayor of Bucha came by the the gravesite and through an interpreter, I was told he wanted to take us to his house. So Representative Sparks and I then got in a vehicle and we were driven to his home, maybe a, um, a half a mile away. And I thought we were going to see his house. In fact, he said we were going to have lunch together. Uh-huh. When we showed up at his house, it was completely destroyed by the Russians. No. His two vehicles that he had in the garage were burned to a crisp. He, the the uh, tracks from the Russian tanks that had surrounded his house and destroyed it were still the sod, his grass and his yard. He had a beautiful yard destroyed by the Russian tracks of the tanks. And then his house had virtually leveled. It was a horrific sight. And he wanted us to see that. And he is lucky to be alive because he told us the Russians came to him and asked if this was if this was the mayor's house. He said, it is the mayor's house. They said, are you the mayor? And he said, no. And then a radio request came into one of the Russian soldiers and he quickly had to scramble to go somewhere else. Otherwise, I think the Marabucha would have been executed probably on the spot. And then we went about three doors down from his home in his village and we had lunch with a friend of his because his home wasn't destroyed. Last question. I know you're on uh, Energy and Natural Resources Committee for the, you know, in in, in the Senate. And what's happened, of course, is is, there's been a big repercussion in the oil and gas industry. Big inflation here, of course, in pricing. What do you think this is going to do long term? Well, when I was in Germany a month ago, uh, we had dinner at the U.S. Embassy there, our ambassador. We had members of the of the Bundestag, the, the German members of parliament. And th- they said something to the effect that, that February 24th was their 9-11. Oh. This was a wake-up call to Europe about what's going on, not only in terms of intentions of Russia and the fact that we need moral clarity on good versus evil, and they're now they're upping their NATO spending because the Russians have, have shown their true colors. But it's also a wake-up call on energy because energy security equals national security. And Putin has weaponized energy. He's created these dependencies on oil and gas for Europe, which are very, very dangerous now for Europe. And they're in a difficult position. He's got them over the barrel, literally, uh, because of Europe's complacency. Their um, rush towards green energy solutions of more wind and more solar, shutting down coal plants, shutting down nuclear plants even in, in, in Europe, has put them in a very, very difficult position. So I think that has important implications for the United States, that we we learn from the mistakes of the Europeans and let's expand our energy portfolio with renewables, but not replace our existing fossil fuels until we have a sustainable source of energy. The The Europeans don't have that right now, and they're in a world of hurt. Senator Steve Daines, Republican from Montana, thank you very much for joining us. Dave, thanks for having me.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to Tyrus and Tim. Every week, Fox Nation host Tyrus and Fox News contributor Kat Tim give their hot takes, explore weird headlines, and share amusing stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jimmy Fallon. What's on your mind? So the bad news is Vice President Kamala Harris has COVID. The good news is this is the first positive result of her tenure. Now, to be clear, I wish Kamala the best of health. Although it is a little silly that she just got COVID after telling us we all had to get vaccinated because the Bible tells us to love thy neighbor. Now, it makes sense that Kamala would quote Jesus, if only because she, too, has about 12 followers at this point. But as for loving thy neighbor, getting vaxxed has nothing to do with our neighbors because vaccinated people are getting and spreading COVID all the time. But like Kamala, every big-name Democrat who got COVID, Obama, Hillary, Elizabeth Warren, they all release a statement saying they have COVID, but they're grateful to be vaccinated and boosted and encouraged everyone to do the same. This has to be the dumbest public relations move I've ever seen. They're pushing the vaccine by reminding you it didn't work. This is like me saying, my wife and I are expecting a baby. Thank God we used a condom or she'd be even more pregnant. Point being, if this is the Democratic strategy to push vaccines, they don't have a shot. Be sure to listen to Fox Across America with me, Jimmy Fallon, weekdays from noon to three on the Fox News app and foxacrossamerica.com. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. Download the one, the one with Craig Gutfeld. Jennifer Haramai. Uh, my ex-husband, Neil Haggerty, like, we wrote all the songs together, but then he pieced out and yeah. didn't want anything to do with the mixing. Right. So, you know, you know you're, you're putting stuff in my lap, and you're, you're going to get a little bit of my flavors. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.